Hey, how's it going? Going well. How are you? Can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? Yep. Coming in loud and clear, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for being here. Sorry for the uh, lateness. The uh, storm here kind of knocked us for a loop a little. Yeah, I apologize on my end, too. It's just this hurricane came out of nowhere, and I had to make I'm, some I'm telling you, I had no idea. I didn't even know about it until uh, this morning when my aunt told me. She was like, yeah, there's going to be, it's going to reach Louisiana and uh, in Houston and everywhere else. And I was like, wow, that's 2020 for you. It really is, man. It's Houston yeah. life, too. Like, just hurricanes are just, all right, let me know when it gets bad, bad, and I'll think about doing something, but. Right. Like, like I'm telling you, you could have texted me yesterday and say, uh, hey, Doku, uh, it's literally cats and dogs about to open up an adoption center. And I would believe I would have believed you. Yeah, I'm so bad about following the news, too, especially with stuff like weather. And it's just I miss so much stuff. Yeah. So what what do you do? Well, tell the listeners what you do. Well, my day job, I work as a dealer in an illegal underground poker room in Houston. But at night, I do stand-up comedy. Nice. Who are some of your influences? I'm really heavily influenced by Anthony Jeselnik. Love super dark short comedy. Um, I'm a huge Chappelle disciple as well. Like, I'm both of those two easily in my top five, top five current, top five all time, both for those. Nice, nice. Now, uh, where do you draw inspiration from your comedy from? Do I know some people, you know, like Martin Wayans, he says everything on his show literally has happened to him uh, before, you know, and like Richard Pryor, you know, the stories that he tells, somebody asked his wife, like, did, did he really take a shotgun to your car? Like, is what he's saying really true? And she's like, yep. <laughs> so where do you get your inspiration? from well for me um i'm 17 months sober now but before that 17 months of sobriety i had a 17 year binge with painkillers heroin and pretty much every other drug known to man so most of my material right now is just recycled pain and trauma from when i was a drug addict i mean i spend a good five minutes a set making fun of one of my ex-girlfriends for being a whore but that's just personal enjoyment yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm proud of you for being clean, man. It, you know, it, it's Thank not you. easy. It's always a, you know, a continuous struggle. And, you know, it, it really takes a lot. It, it really takes a lot. Thank you for that. Like, if I can get on my soapbox for just like 45 seconds, one of the reasons I mentioned that so early and mention it pretty much everywhere I go is when I first went into rehab, I had seen so many people suffer from the stigma of being a recovering addict or a recovering alcoholic and seeing how people treat them. And if I don't do anything else, my mission in life is to try to normalize recovery and that when people heal themselves, look at them as people again. Like people deserve a chance to fix their mistakes and drugs were a big mistake for me. I'm really grateful to the people who have given me a chance to be a better person now in this.
you know, and I just hope others get that chance too. So maybe by me being public about it, I can raise a little bit of awareness that like, yes, even successful people have troubled past, like not to call myself successful per se, but you get the point. Yeah. And I mean, I, I get what you're saying completely because me, I've done everything but cracking heroin. And, you know, let me tell you, be, there's nothing like being sober. There really know? isn't. It's hard to express you know. to anybody who hasn't tried both, but sober is immeasurably better. Yeah. So what would you say of, you know, what would you tell anybody that wants to, that has a bucket list that say, oh, I want to try everything except for heroin and, you know, uh, crack or, oh, I want to, you know, just try marijuana. What would you tell them on that? Well, I mean, I can only speak for myself and my experiences. And I was literally a, I want to try every drug and do every drug and feel every different high type person. And when I got into therapy, I realized that the reason for that was that nothing I was trying was adequately killing the pain I was trying to kill. So if someone came to me in that exact same scenario, I would just tell them, look, I did all of the drugs. I tried all of the things you're trying. It won't do what you're trying to do you'll die trying to bury pain with narcotics. You can delay it a little bit, but you can't kill pain with drugs. It's unfortunate, but painkillers don't really do their job for emotional pain. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm huge on mental health. I believe everybody should at least see a psychiatrist once or twice a week. And, um, you know, it, it, I'm glad it's becoming... Uh, popular you know i i hate trends because i feel like with trends they come and go but i hopefully this trend of the mental health thing will actually open people's eyes and it'll stick for some people because there's a lot of people that need it like i i don't mean to play the devil's advocate but there's a lot of really evil people in the world that i feel like they will be less evil if they actually, you know, if they actually get help, you know what I mean? I mean, I think there's two kinds of evil. I think there's the hurt people that hurt people type mentality of people who have undergone pain and trauma and just need to release that back out of their lives. And there's a second type of evil that's just literally born of mental illness and chemical imbalances in the brain. And I think one of those types of evil benefits greatly from therapy and the other one of those types of evil just doesn't. Yeah. I think some people you can't save, but there are a lot of people that would benefit greatly from talking about their problems and figuring out ways to cope that don't involve killing large masses of people or consuming large quantities of opiates, you know? Exactly. Now, how hard is it for a struggle because see um and since we're talking about drugs here uh i would do that is because i was um that guy now i'm one of the extremely lucky people that can try you know different drugs and put it down be like that's it my uh tolerance is i would say definitely quite high but uh, this year, I've made it my business to, you know, try literally 
everything except for crack and uh you know and you know heroin you know i uh i didn't do adderall because i don't do well with pills but i did you know try marijuana and being high you know especially at this age okay can i stop you for one second yeah just as someone who did all of the drugs i have to get on my soapbox for a second uh-huh. marijuana isn't a fucking drug it i've done all of them like it's drug light at best and i I'm, I'm, it's more of a I'm health plant and a mental like i'm so much on the benefits of marijuana as a medical aid as a consciousness aid as a spiritual aid and so many facets that i hate it getting categorized in with other drugs as in evil because at the end of the day i have yet to run across a handful of people that have ruined their life with marijuana and i've spent all of my time with drug addicts like mm-hmm. you can get fat you can I, get I, unmotivated yeah i, I oh i agree 100 percent. i think marijuana needs to be legal in all 50 states matter of fact if kanye west is running for president fuck it and the next two or four years or however the fuck it is, I want to run too. And that's going to be my lead campaign, legalize marijuana in all 50 states. But I will say this, every time that I have done marijuana, I was surrounded by uh, bad people. Like I said, that's just my uh, experience. Uh, I love marijuana. Uh, There's a place called, uh, have you ever been to the Green Elephant? I have not. Yeah, there's a place in uh, I would have to edit this. There's a place in Dallas called the Green Elephant. It's very uh, hippie like, but you walk in, there's a dive bar, there's a rave, and then you go to the back, and there's like a drum jam and people selling like brownies and edibles and weed right there in the open. And you have to be there to really grasp what I'm telling you because each time I tell somebody and I take them their eyes just get wide like what the fuck they are actually literally out here in this bitch but uh, I I will say that uh, all the times that I've done it it's definitely surrounded me with not the most nicest of people but I do think you know it should be done responsibly I do I do think people should push weed definitely more than alcohol or tobacco definitely. you know definitely and there's a reason why you know they don't and I don't know if you know this but did you know alcohol slowly uh kills you I mean Technically, by definition, everything slowly kills you because we're all slowly dying always just to interject a little bit of cheer into this podcast. But, yeah, I'm aware (laughs) of liver liver damage and toxicity and the whole alcohol is bad thing. Like I was a professional drinker. Yeah, no, no, not even that. Like I was talking to my uh, friend. She's a doctor. And she was like, you know how when you go to get teeth pulled, the doctor numbs your gums. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, well, you know why people get drunk when they drink right and i was like no well she was like when you drink alcohol and actually get drunk the intoxication is a numbness your body is literally slowly dying and it's fighting to uh stay alive that's why some people get act alcohol poisoning so the you us getting drunk is actually a uh like a natural you know like numbness 
for our bodies while uh, it works to keep us alive. And if we w didn't get drunk while we drink, we would be in excruciation, uh, excruciating pain. And I found that like theory to be very interesting. Like I've, I never really. Well, I mean, you would have been in excruciating pain. I never ever drank without taking a shitload of Vicodin too. Yeah. I mean, worst case, I would have hit numb the other way. Yeah. Now, now, now why do you think, because I tell everybody, like, I also experimented with uh, psychedelics this year, which is another thing that I would say is should be legal. Uh, you know, I feel like there should be shroom therapy. There is shroom therapy, but it's a, a rare practice like um, microdosing and whatnot. I do think that should be legal too, but it's a very delicate thing. I don't advise anybody. It's, it's, it's definitely not weed. You can't, like weed, you can light up whenever, but when it comes to like, uh, like shrooms or LSD, you have to be in the right mindset, in the right setting. Or shit have you ever home. done DMT? I haven't. I'm I'm a scared little bitch. It's the last thing on my list. I want to so bad, but uh, I hear your soul literally leaves your body. It's not that your soul leaves your body per se, so much as alternate dimensions open up before your eyes, and you have very pleasant conversations with thoughts and emotions that are enraptured with the wisdom of the universe and for like 15 minutes yeah i'm a very spiritual person and when people say oh you're hallucinating i think that's bullshit i think those things are actually there i honest to god do there was actually a study and uh i forget his name he's like big in the lsd uh, community um, that shows you how much of a baby I am because I don't know his name but um, he basically did a test on a large group of people and one group of people saw one thing and the other group of people saw another and he said if it was an illusion or if it was a hallucination they would have saw like multiple different things like each person would have had their own but the fact that everybody was mostly able to describe the same thing for the most part, you know, shows that it's probably not a hallucination. Like, I really believe it opens up a door. I mean, my only... I have one slight issue with that as a theory. Not right. to say it's necessarily wrong, but if you look at large-scale individual crowdsourced events where they take eyewitness testimony even when something did occur right in front of a group of people eyewitness testimony always varies wildly from person to person to person so the fact that any group of people has the same story is almost suspicious to me inherently yeah just because that doesn't really happen with large groups of people because people are stupid <laughs> yeah and, and i mean it's an ongoing like psychedelics is definitely an ongoing uh process a couple of years ago they just recently started you know looking into it and you know researching it again but yeah i definitely find it funny that cigarettes tobacco alcohol is legal and and weed isn't that's definitely suspicious 
to me, the reptilians are definitely hiding it for a reason. Man, I'm down for any good conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, uh, while we're in the field of conspiracy theory, did you hear the ones about um, all the singers from the 70s? I have not. Okay, so you take people like the Mamas and the Papas, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, um, Janis Joplin, who I think is from Texas, by the way, actually. And um, they there's a conspiracy that those singers were experiments. Because, I mean, let's just be honest. Jim Morrison doesn't really have, uh, this is just my opinion, I don't know if you agree, but he doesn't have a talented bone in his body when it comes to singing. Like, he could not sing. I, I, I love Light My Fire as a song. It's a classic, but he doesn't have the best voice. And um, all of these singers had military parents, and they all lived in the same exact, you know, place. And they all died off, like, one by one. Like, I mean, like, months apart. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've ever cared about Jim Morrison enough to listen to his music, because I haven't. Um, I'm completely uncultured in that particular aspect. Yeah. But I would buy that as a theory if singers didn't die all the time because they're singers and singers do a lot of drugs and that's what drug addicts do is just die in sequence lost like eight people in my na group since the whole quarantine thing started man i'm oh, sorry to hear that it's just saying like alternate theories but i'm not completely dismissing your conspiracy theory yeah and like there's like there's so many you know i, I went through my conspiracy phase as a as a kid and there's some that i hope are conspiracies like you know you see these things about like child uh pedophilia and how there's celebrities that have like one big sex ring with the spirit cooking and all and you pray that they're not real like you pray that man once i make it to the top of that hill that nobody invites me to a eyes wide shut party where i see Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise having a threesome with Will Smith, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, I used to worry about stuff like that, too, and then I realized that whether I get famous or not, I'm still going to be lazy and hate going out. Yeah. So, so I, I got... I, I, I'll just skip the parties, dude. Like... Definitely. The weird sex islands, the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing. Like, at this point, I hear if you say Hillary Clinton's name three times on a podcast, she shows up and murders you. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't going to try it. She probably would. I'm at one so far, so just uh, let me keep that under control for the rest of this little call. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But, I mean, yeah, there's so many conspiracies. But you're... And, and it's funny because... Um, I tell my friend all the time, you know, because I have, you know, dabbled in comedy as well. I tell him, I said, some of the most saddest people in the world have been comedians, which is why we're so funny, because we under, you know, we understand that there's kind of everything. I mean, almost all comedy is pain. All comedy has a target. It has a punchline. You have to aim somewhere. 
like the really great ones just pull it and punch it themselves. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Now let me ask get you. A Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now let me ask you this. What is your favorite comedy special of all time? Anthony Jeselnik's Thoughts and Prayers. Classic. <laughs> Classic. Uh, what inspires you as a comedian? For me, this is going to sound a little bit pretentious, but I think anybody, if you gave them a six-week course in stage presence and wrote them a script, could go up on stage and tell jokes. The art of being a comedian is writing, finding the lines of what people think you can and can't say or do and playing with that line and crossing it and getting back safely. Like that's the art of this to me. So when I see people really like writing big jokes and taking big chances, like this could piss some people off. That's what I admire. Like I admire people who are fearless with this. Yeah. The last thing we do that has freedom of speech. Yeah. And, and honestly, uh, to piggyback off of what you just said, uh, back in the day, there was only one person in the whole entire kingdom that could tell the truth. And that was the fool. That was the uh, jester because he would tell the truth, but he would make it funny as a joke. So yeah, comedians, they're definitely truth tellers and about like making people mad. Uh, I think the whole reason why we do this is to provoke, and especially with comedians, is to provoke emotion. Like whether you're a comedian, actor, painter, dancer, uh, opera singer, whatever, the you know the purpose of art is to provoke emotion. Like I'll never forget, I went to go see the first Kingsman Secret Service, and I was ready for any five ninjas that wanted to come and fight me. Like, let's go, you know. I 100%. came in. Yeah, it's a great. I hate action movies, but I like that one. That's how good the first one was. And, you know, I was like, and the same with the first John Wick. I was like, okay, give me a gun and give me five other people with a gun and we can, you know, throw down, you know, but that's what it's supposed to do. And I tell anybody, because uh, I'm around a lot of young, you know, artists that are up and coming, a lot of young writers that, care what people think and they're like oh i don't want to say this because it might offend people or you know oh, i want to be politically correct and neutral and i tell them the purpose of art is to provoke emotion it's it didn't say the purpose of art was to make people happy or sad whatever that emotion is if you go see my show and and you were sad and you got happy you know I've done my job. If you saw my show and I said something to piss you the fuck off and make you want to kill me, I've also done my job because I've provoked a different emotion in you than when you came. You should, like, I should not go to any show and come out right. the other end the same. Okay. So, I hear you, but, like, my perspective on it, I approach it a little bit differently than you in that aspect because mm -hmm. I do a ton of dark jokes. Like, one of my favorite things to do is be the first person to make a joke when a celebrity dies. Like it's pretty much Christmas for me, <laughs> but my approach to it is this as a comic and a person, I knew going into this thing 
that every comic is not for everybody. Every person who's telling jokes is not trying to appeal to a universal fan base. They're trying to appeal to their own fan base. I was raised, and I'll believe this until the day that I die, there has never been a single moment in my life that wouldn't have been improved with a joke. Amen. Like funerals, like surgeries, deaths, horrible tragedies. Like those are the times when you need to laugh the most. So I will never apologize for trying to make people laugh during a dark time because if I offend 99 people and make one person who's as fucked up as I am laugh, then to me, I've done my job and those 99 people aren't for me. Like, I don't care how big or small my fan base gets. It's people who are going to be wired like me because that's the only way I want to do this thing. I don't want to bend and be safe or worry about getting canceled or you can't say this on TV or you can't do this for a clean show. Like, fuck it. If I never get rich or famous doing this, I'm going to say what the fuck I want to say. There's plenty of open mics. Definitely. And fuck cancel culture, man. I think it's ridiculous. They cancel who they want to cancel, you know, and it's just a bunch of bullshit. But yeah, I 100 agree. And that right there lets me know that you're a real artist. Like whenever I ask somebody to do my podcast, one of the most disrespectful questions you can ever ask is how big your platform is like that to me separates the real artists from the people that's just in it for the money because as a as an actor i don't care how big the platform is i don't like i agree i don't care if i have one listener or fifty thousand. i don't care if only one person like say for instance have you seen wild wild west with will smith i have I'm the only person in the world that likes that movie. But, you know... I mean, Will Smith said he liked it because the check cash, so there's at least two of you. Uh, Yeah, yeah. But he still kicks himself in the ass every day for turning uh, the Matrix down for that role, though. (laughs) Right? Well, like, I'll answer, like, the first question you kind of didn't ask. I don't Mm want to sound like... I didn't do it for the reasons you're thinking I did it like it's not that i care how big or small the platform is because i genuinely from the bottom of my heart don't what comedy is to me is an outlet that drugs used to be and i've approached every single decision since i got sober by the same criteria if it sounds scary or it sounds fun or i have nothing else to do i'll do it and this is a window of time I was literally going to be doing nothing else. So why not? Like, enjoying meeting a new person. It's a fun conversation. I don't care if anybody ever listens to this, man. I don't have yeah. any illusions of getting on Netflix. Like, I do this for me. If I get fans and people laugh, great. Like, if somebody throws me 100 bucks on the side for grass, gas, fantastic. But for me, it's about, like, that pure moment of, me with a microphone making a room full of people laugh. I agree 100%, man, 100%. Like, that's why we do this. And uh, I hate that I cannot remember his name because there was a uh, entertainer that said the same thing you pretty much said. He said, I do this for me. You just, you guys just so happen 
to be able to go to the movies and see it. You know, like I do this, this for me, you know, it's like the most selfish thing I do. Yeah, literally, literally. It's saying, listen to me talk for 20 minutes, everybody. Pay attention to me. And people are like, oh, you gave us so much. Like, yeah. People who say that haven't been on stage because if they had, they'd know what a high people laughing at you is. Like, uh, yeah. It's incredible. Like, speaking of that, one of my greatest uh, acting moments, uh, I was in a. Um, a musical theater workshop called the thingy my teacher named it the thingy because he was too lazy to name it but uh at the end of the workshop uh we all went into the black box and the way it was made uh the chairs were on bleachers so the seats were actually higher than the stage was and to be surrounded by all that applause, it was a magical feeling that I haven't felt before or after that since like it it was it was hard to describe i felt like you know hercules like i am on my way you know like it it was amazing you know that applause just hits different when it's a room full of people just aimed at you you know what i'm saying it's indescribable to people who don't do it i'm telling you man now how do you deal with hecklers well for me right now Anybody who interrupts me, I've just been saying people like you are the reason I'll never say all lives matter. <laughs> yeah. And that usually makes people stop talking to me because I get aggressive and nobody likes an angry, aggressive ex-addict. Yeah. And especially when they literally have the whole floor. Like, say, for instance, um, I was looking at one of Monique's shows, and she had a kid who was actually uh, had autism. And she was, you know, he pretty much yelling throughout the whole show. And the mom was trying to uh, be, you know, quiet her down. And, you know, she just handled it like a pro. She said, uh-uh, don't don't quiet her down. She's enjoying the show. Like I would rather, you know, have a reaction than, you know, no reaction. And, you know, she made the kid, you know, feel comfortable at home. And, you know, she actually got the crowd in on it. She was like, on the count of three, I want everybody to mimic the child, the sound that this child is making just so she knows that we love her. We're here for her. She can get as loud as she wants one two three and they did it and the smile on that child's face like lit up the whole room i just want to go on the record right now as saying like anybody who brings a child to one of my shows deserves everything that happens to them <laughs> you know you know it's, it's it's so so your shows are definitely not kid friendly no i'm not kid friendly as a person or a core concept <laughs> it, it would be funny if somebody brought your uh their kids to your show and you know I, they're like i thought this was ben the builder we got the wrong <laughs> tickets bro i get uncomfortable even when it's like comics kids who i know have heard horrible things their whole lives yeah 
it's like I still feel like I can introduce a few new core concepts to them, and I don't want to be responsible for that. Right. Definitely, definitely. What are your top three comedy movies of all time? Um, comedy movies for me have to say Life number one. Oh uh, yeah. Harlem Nights a very, very close number two. And then coming to America three. Uh, yeah. Are you excited for coming to America too? I mean, I always feel like some things should just be left untouched. I'm hoping they pull it off. I mean, with the names they have, it's very possible it could be fantastic. It's also very possible that it could suck like other sequels. Godfather yeah. 3, in your general direction, Soul Plane 2. Hold on, there was a Soul Plane 2? I think so. I could be messing that up. Yeah, well, well, if it makes you feel any better, Soul Play One was trash already. So, you know, there's the. the, the I, I mean, I liked it. Like, okay, one thing you'll notice about me is I love a good bad movie, and Soul Play was definitely one of them. I mean, it's not like it was trying too hard to be art, right? But but I mean like I can't hate nothing that Godfrey's in. He's one of my when it comes to comedy and like social commentary, Godfrey is like genius. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. What are your top three favorite actors? Man. Ah. This is really gonna make me sound it's a weird mix. Like, I very much watch classic cinema. Like, I think Casablanca is the best movie ever made, and Humphrey Bogart might be the best actor of all time. Yeah. But there's also, like, I'm also scared to name, like, current actors because I feel like I'm going to say that on this podcast and then tomorrow's going to turn out they were on Jeffrey Epstein's Island fucking a 12-year-old. And it's going to be like, oh, you like them? and Yeah, it's, see, the, the, that's the thing about celebrities. It, it gets awkward, you know, at that point. You can't really like anybody nowadays. Like, nobody is... You know, nobody is really safe. Like you look at a document, like you look at a documentary, and you look on the Epstein list, and you'll literally see Lady Gaga's name while your her album is like blasting in your car, and then you have to explain like like, why you have her play. Here's my thing, bro. Like, how many households in America? had pictures of people who met Bill Cosby hanging up in them where they were thinking, there's no way this will ever reflect poorly on me. Like, Oh, man. Bill Cosby was a disappointment. I'm, if you like that sort of thing, I guess he was. Like, I, The Cosby Show is fantastic television. Don't get me wrong. I just hate his comedy. All of it. Yeah, he he was definitely clean, and it's funny because any comedian that would curse a lot, he would uh, he would call them because uh, there was two comedians that you would you know have to talk to. There was Richard Pryor and Bill Cosby, and Bill Cosby would always be like, "Look, you don't have to curse 
every line. You're a talented guy, but you know, every line is shit this and damn that. And then Richard Pryor would be like, Are people laughing? Do you think it's funny? Then fuck that pudding eating motherfucker, you know? Oh, while we're on the subject of Bokazi, I'm just gonna tell you this joke because I think it's a amazing god tier joke and I want it spread to as many places as possible. Um All right, cool. Credit where it's due. Ron White said this on Joe Rogan's podcast. This is not my joke. I'm just a huge fan of it. He just goes, in defense of Bill Cosby, he's been telling us for years and years how much he hates people who use profanity. And there's nobody in the world who curses more than a woman who's awake while she's being raped. Wow. <laughs> Wow. It's just so that's, good. It's that's so a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. That is yeah, funny. What influences and inspires me. It's shit like that. <laughs> yeah, that good old fashioned dark humor. And it's funny because, like, say for instance, uh Bill Cosby did Eddie Murphy the same way. That's why on SNL he got him back. He was like, Who's the good dad now? Who's the role model now, bitch? <laughs> Wow, life, man, life. But yeah, bro, like not even as his comedy, because honestly, I've never met a person that likes Bill Cosby's uh, uh, comedy. Have you? I I want to say I haven't, but somebody's going to pop up and surprise me and be like, no, Bill Cosby's a comedic genius. Jello pudding yeah. pots and Fat Albert and shit. And yeah, think- I, like maybe one. I've maybe met one Bill Cosby fan, but let's be honest here. Most people like Bill Cosby for his, you know, humanitarianism and his writing. Like they never say, "Oh, Bill Cosby was funny." You know what I mean? They say he was a great comedian, but you never I mean, get people you, who like free drugs are fans of Bill Cosby. Well, <laughs> definitely, and and like the uh, like the feeling you got because even though you know he was convicted, people were like, "No, he didn't do this." The world is trying to keep black people down, and then Bill Cosby got on the stand and he admitted to doing it, and everybody like the world literally stood still, like mid defense. They were just like. Shit. (laughs) For me, it's like, and this is going to sound unfair, but as somebody, as a comedian, like when stuff like this happens, I no longer care if they did it or not. Like when the Bill Cosby accusations came out, like for the rest of my life, when I talk to about him, this is going to be referenced in joke form. Yeah. That's why, and it's funny because Robin Williams said something similar because somebody asked him, uh, did he like uh, George Bush? And he was like, are you kidding me? Do you know how many jokes I can write from that guy? Hell yeah, I want him to still be president. <laughs> like, that's why for me, like, it feels like a weird sentence to say, but Epstein Island is my favorite thing to happen in a while. It's it's been so good to me as a source of material. I, it's 
yes, obviously, tragedy feels mm-hmm. bad for the child sex slaves and whatnot. But fuck, man, there's so much you can it, do. It, it, it's it's literally like a dog with a tire, man. It's right there for you. It's relevant. People would get the jokes. Like, come on, especially like, for a guy with your sense of humor. It's like the giving tree, man. Like, it's, yeah, it's there, and it takes a little piece of me with it every time I, I go there. But it's just, it's always there right when I need it. Yeah. Now, I I don't know if I asked you this, but I'm just going ahead and ask you, uh, is there any joke that you won't touch? Is there any subject that you won't touch? It's not subjects that I won't touch per se I'm also like while I'm willing to say anything the end of that sentence is I'm willing to say anything that I want to say some things I don't find funny I'm a human being with personal and political beliefs too like I don't find anything about people dying in racial protests funny like, I'm not doing anything resembling a joke about any of this shit. It's sad to me. So I don't want to make a joke about it because I have feelings. You know what I'm saying? And there's yeah. some topics that I'm not a good enough comedian yet to get people to laugh at. I've tried and tried to get people to laugh at school shooter jokes, well-written school shooter jokes, but they're touchy about it. I don't know. I don't really understand feelings and morality and right and wrong and things that other people seem to concern themselves with they're fucking jokes they're fucking words but obviously i'm in the minority that's why i'm the one writing the horrific jokes but yeah you know there's some things where we're like you just can't be the one to tell the joke like it doesn't matter how good of a kobe bryant joke you've written right now it's just right yeah. Now, what kind of music do you listen to? I'm pretty much... I stopped kind of listening to the radio and paying attention to pop culture somewhere around, like, late 2008. So, hip-hop that came out between 1994 to that period and rap from that era as well and sad, angry rock music for when I'm in a depressed sad white mood you know yeah a little earth wind and fire for the ladies and you got a playlist yeah yeah whenever I'm depressed I usually uh listen to like uh Sia I'm in here you know some you know some sad shit some, some sad songs um like based solely on your voice you would have seemed like a Disney soundtrack guy to me I how did you know okay like Disney I am a Disney soundtrack and like my friends get me all the time but tell me Hannah Montana raise your voice will not inspire somebody I think it should be saying in schools across America I didn't watch Hannah Montana because I'm not a pedophile and plus, you're older. You're older. I'll admit, Hannah Montana, I, I had the wig. I'm admitting that live on this podcast. I I was a Hannah Montana fan. I didn't. And the weird thing is, I didn't even know 
I was going to be a Hannah Montana fan. When Hannah Montana first came out, I hated it like everybody else. I was in middle school. I was like, you know, what is this garbage? And strangely enough, I knew every lyric. And then I actually started to watch it and started to like it. But, you know, that's how Disney gets you, you know? Yeah. I just, there's some things I just couldn't get on board with. Yeah. Are, are you a Disney guy? I'm like a classic Disney guy. And some of the franchises they've appropriated in their massive money grab, I'm also a fan of. Like they apparently own Boy Meets World now, which is weird to me, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I swear Disney is becoming an illegal company. Like they own so much. I legally don't think they could buy anything else. I mean, being taken over by a giant mouse seems so 2020. Yeah. And, and, and Mickey is gangster. I don't know if you know this rapper. Uh, do you know who Snow the Product is? I do not. Uh, have you heard of uh, Tech 9 I've heard of Tech 9 Okay, well, if Eminem and Tech 9 had a Mexican daughter, it would be Snow the Product. I highly recommend you look her up. She's from Arlington, actually, and she's like the, like, she would wrap circles around Nikki Cardi and Meg. I'm sorry. But um, she actually wanted her name to be Snow White. And Mickey Mouse literally came to her door personally and sent a cease and desist letter or will sue. And so she changed her name to Snow the Product. Like, I'm this, trying like, to restrain my impulse to make a really bad Megan Thee Stallion joke right now. You'll have to excuse me. <laughs> right. You, you know, shoot your shot, man. Go ahead. All I'm saying is while I'm in no way condoning domestic violence, I care just as much about Meg the Stallion getting shot in the foot as I've cared about any other stallion that's ever got shot in the foot in the history of stallions. Apparently it's a common thing when you're a horse to get shot. I mean, really, really? I mean, she's from Texas, so I don't want to say too... I'm I'm trying to think of uh, something nice to say about her since all of her songs uh, sound the same. Oh yeah, she wrapped circles around Cardi and Wap like she completely dominated her. Let there. me be clear about something. I'm in no way saying Meg The Stallion, Cardi B, all of these women aren't talented. They obviously are. I'm saying it is my right as a person to not talk <laughs> about any of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> saying. I'm saying Cardi is Italian. If you won't say it, I will. She's definitely not talented. I mean, I don't think anybody makes that much money and gets that famous without a level of talent behind it. Because what I'll say at the end of the day is work ethic is a talent. Not everybody has it. Not everybody can do the things you need to do to grind to really be successful. So to sell somebody who makes it like that short, off of opinions of like what is basically artistic expression is unfair to me. Yeah, well, like, well I mean, I'm I'm not making it off of it because like like I don't like WAP because it's nasty. I mean, there's a lot of nasty songs. Like I'm a huge fan of uh, Trina and you know uh, Little Kim. I don't like the song because it sucks. Like it has nothing <laughs> to do with the, the the lyrics. You know, I like a little nastiness too. 
you know, but I, I feel like she definitely has a huge machine behind her. I feel like nowadays, uh, yeah, you have to have a brand, but you don't necessarily have to have talent to make it, if that makes sense. I mean, I feel like you have to have talent to stay relevant, but as long as you have a big machine behind you, you can literally do anything. I mean, I don't know. I'll let you know if I ever get a big machine. Yeah, that's for sure. Let, hook me up with one, too, if you get one. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But who are your top five rappers, dead or alive? Oh, Lord, I'm just going to plead the fifth on this question, dude. I'm not <laughs> trying to get crucified by the people on my Facebook and start a war with your top five sucks versus that. Because Eminem would be on it, and they would say, "Oh, it's because you're white," and I would be like, Probably. "What?" You know, I never got the I never got the hatred towards Eminem. Like I've seen this guy do ungodly stuff on the mic. Okay, like there's one line in look, man. Like to me, resenting Eminem is like being mad at one of the two or three good white point guards in the NBA. Like, sometimes the skill sets get put on the wrong race. Those people got to shine, too, man. Like, what are they supposed to do? Exactly. And, I mean, honestly, I put Eminem up against anybody that raps or that has a voice, period, and watch them get smoked. Like, there's nobody that I know. He had a couple of bad albums. Who did it, you know? Everybody's I mean, you put that much lapse. volume, everybody's going to have opinions, but there's a lot of quality and a fair amount of trash. Nobody's perfect, man. Like, yeah. criticizing Eminem for a bad album is like saying you've never banged a four. Like, get the fuck out of here. Right. I definitely think he does need to say fuck, fuck you to the fans and just do, do whatever he wants because I feel like he listens to the, you know, fans way too much i think he should just put out stuff that you know works for him because again i say i feel like his uh last album the one with uh the uh beyonce uh track on it people hated that album but i liked it now i understood why you hated it because it's an album where you have to be an eminem fan to understand it but, like, Music to be Murdered by, definitely one of the greatest albums I've heard in a while. Um, recovery. Kamikaze um, was a banger, too. Let's not forget. Like, uh, shoot. He went down the list. That. Like, we just going to call that top three diss track albums of all time and move on. That's all I can say about that. I'm telling you, you know, and I give it to machine gun kelly he tried but he's he doesn't even rap anymore he's a rock singer now i mean when you find yourself in a fight i give anybody credit for swinging back like what could he do but swing some punches he was in a fight with somebody who's never ever quit on a fight before so you might as well swing <laughs> you know you're gonna get eight you might as well swing a little bit like rap devil was kind of fucking catchy that's the most he got yeah. out of it you know, I mean, you know, you and, and you can, you know, he got a few listens off of that piece of shit yeah. album that he can we both out, agree but... Machine Gun Kelly took less of an L than Ja Rule took? 
Oh, definitely. Well, anybody did. Like, he completely, like, that was disrespectful. Now, that was disrespectful. I didn't think him needed to do that to that man. I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was entertaining. He completely annihilated that dude. For sport. <laughs> and, I mean, they still talk about it. Like, of course, they're cool now, but they still, like, joke about it. Like, till this day, you know, like, he mentions it on, you know, tracks and, like, 50 Cent bought up, like, the first five rows of his concert so it could be half empty. Like, they still poke fun at each other. I'm just saying, man, like, if Eminem was going to be that touchy about people saying his daughter's name, he should have made it something harder to rhyme with. Right, (laughs) Haley. Name your daughter Orange or something. See if she gets put in any songs. (laughs) Right. If Eminem could collaborate with anybody, who would you want him to collaborate with? Right. To me, this is going to sound like a weird cliche answer, but every time Eminem and Royce get on a track, it's a classic. Yeah. Like, they complement each other very well. You're going to learn it's such a deep ass dope track that I feel like people sleep on it. And for me, Royce is always going to be Royce. Yeah, I would love to see him do a collaboration with Drake. I mean, again. Well, that's true. He's done a feature with Drake, but not a collaboration. That's fair. Yeah. I don't I don't know if he ever would, be, but he did say in an interview that Drake did something for Haley that he could never repay. So, I mean, they seem on, like, good terms. But you know, I don't, I don't know, because Drake uses ghostwriters, and I don't know how he, you know, I've talked to a lot of rappers. That's a thing that they hate, you know. So, hey, uh, just to let you know, man, apologies in advance. My phone's on one percent. Oh, it's cool. It's cool. But wow, this interview like took a turn for the best. Like I, like we kind of went off on a tangent, but these are like my best interviews. Like, yeah, it's fun to interview you on you. And your career, but actually just shoot shit with people and like get to know the real them. That's that's what I do this for, man. Thanks for your time. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me, bro. Hope to do it again sometime. No problem. Stay dark. Take care.